0: Welcome to the ghostly gallery podcast a place where we explore the world of horror in film in literature and in popular culture well hello everyone welcome to the show my name is Bruce Markison and as always I'm joined by producer and co-host Tracy Asteria Tracy welcome to the show how are you
1: I'm doing great Bruce how are you today
0: Very good. I know you've been really busy. You have been working on a new logo for us that uh, actually is already up. You're still doing some tinkering with us with that. Tell us about this new logo. I love it.
1: So this new logo, it is really well suited for the podcast. It's nice and eerie looking. And it's really, really exciting because it kind of gives a nice brand to this podcast and we're, we're looking forward to using it.
0: Yeah, it really fits in with our plan. Tracy has already been laying the groundwork for us to move our shows to YouTube. Uh, that's going to be done on a gradual basis, but Tracy has already begun that project. Tell us a little bit more about that, Tracy.
1: So right now, all of the podcasts that we have done already, I'm just in the process of revamping the audio and moving it to more of a visual aspect. So we'll be able to have a couple of visual diagrams to look at as the audio podcast plays, and you'll be able to watch that on the big screen. Um, or on your phone, just through the YouTube app, which I think is going to be great, open up a brand new audience of people who are just hardcore YouTube users. But it's um, it's a lot of work, but it's worth it. It's a lot of fun. And eventually, hopefully, we can actually start with with real live video as well.
0: well that's great. We're really looking forward to that. Now, just to clarify, we're still going to be on Podbean, Spotify, Samsung, iHeartRadio, among other platforms. So YouTube isn't going to replace those. It's going to be an addition, too. And as you say, a lot of people do like to go to YouTube automatically, and uh, hopefully this will increase uh, some exposure for us and and get us connected uh, to some of the horror and sci-fi fans that are out there.
1: Well, Tracy, for
0: for this week's show, we are going to uh, spend most of our time with a repeat guest uh, you're going to be introducing him and and leading much of the interview so uh, tell everybody about uh, who we've got on now for a second time
1: okay so we have ansel Farage, who is with us today and he was last with us on the ghostly gallery podcast for episode number 10. well he was with us the first time we discussed in great detail ansel's beginnings in the horror genre we talked about a lot of Dark Shadows material and a few films in, of his, including Dr. Mabusa and Loon Lake. So if any of our listeners haven't had a chance to hear that episode, please go ahead and listen to that one and get to know Ansel a little bit better. So let's just get right into this. Welcome, Ansel. How are you doing today?
2: Thanks, guys, for having me. I'm, I'm doing good.
1: That is awesome. Um, We've got a lot of questions lined up for you. Um, The first thing I really want to chat about is the 2023 release of your film called Todd Tarantula. The film stars Ethan Walker as lead role, Todd Tarantula, David Selby as Lucifer Gray, and Nathan Wilson as, I believe it was Barracuda. And you had so (laughs) many... Excellent supporting cast members. Um, You know, I recently watched that movie and it was such a great storyline. Can you just give us a little chat about your movie and tell us all about it?
2: Yeah, I'm glad you enjoyed the movie. Um, It's a a film that I had, it took me 12 years to finally make. We had many false starts and finances falling apart and whatnot. And then uh, ultimately I, after the pandemic, I said, I'm going to make this film, and um, I ended up paying for it entirely myself out of pocket. Uh, It Mm -hmm. is best described as a, quote, a mystery of psychedelic proportions. It's um, about uh, a young punk named Todd Tarantula whose uh, motorbike goes missing, and uh, he has this vision of his father murdered. And that leads him down a rabbit hole of, uh, Los Angeles urban mythology and, um, an increasingly s- strange, surreal conspiracy surrounding his family and himself. And, uh, it was something that, um, uh, I, I had always wanted to make, a, a, as a teenager and, and as a young man, um. And uh, it, I always wanted it to feel like um, a cartoon come to life or a graphic novel come to life. So uh, we shot it live action, but then in post-production, it was rotoscoped to give it this sort of graphic novel feel to it. Um, and uh, it, it was... Uh, I'm very happy that the movie exists and that I don't have to wonder or think about it ever again because it took a lot to... There was many times I'm like, this movie will never get made. Um, And uh, thankfully it has. And it's out there. It's streaming on Tubi. It's streaming on a couple other platforms now, I believe. And it's available Mm -hmm. on Blu-ray, which I highly encourage uh, because physical media is something that streamers can't take away from you. And as an independent filmmaker, exactly. it, it helps support me a little bit more.
1: No, that's right. I know there's nothing better than actually having an actual physical copy in your hands. It's just, I think the quality is excellent. And it is. there's extra bonus features on the DVD copy as well, is it not?
2: There's there's a bunch of spe- uh, special features. We've got uh, interviews with David Selby, with myself, with the... Uh, uh, nathan wilson emma west um there's behind the scenes photos there's a whole little featurette on how we did uh some of the stunts um there's a lot on that there's a there's a bonus film on there a short film um and uh yeah it's a it's on sale on amazon so you can you can go and click it and add it to your cart and it'll be delivered the next day.
1: (laughs) Oh my goodness. Oh, wow. Oh, that's amazing. So can you tell us um, what inspired you to write such a cool story? Like it's very, very trippy. I, I can't even tell you how much I enjoyed it. It just, has so many different aspects. Like there was time travel mythology and some pretty cool futuristic technology scenes. (laughs) Um, What, how how did you ever come up with a story like that
2: uh i mean you know I, i'm i'm from los angeles uh and uh la is a very strange town when you really start to dig into it and uh, we do have a lot of uh urban myths i guess you would call them and mm-hmm. um I, yeah i i've i've i always kind of fascinated by that and sort of the geography of of la and how la began so there's a lot of la history in there um right. and uh I, it's just i mean i don't know i i was i was 17 or 18 when i started thinking about it of uh it, it started out as like a a short film you could call it of uh, mm-hmm. todd this this punk on a motorcycle um trapped in westwood village which is uh the sort of college town where UCLA is, is based in, in LA right. and um, he's sort of trapped in, in a sense of like uh, Louis Bornell's film, the exterminating angel. He can't get out of Westwood and Lucifer gray is uh, like sitting on a bus bench and they keep having this metaphysical discussion. And, and then finally his friend Barracuda drove in and rescued him and got him out of, of Westwood and a very sort of surreal abstract little black and white short um and uh we didn't do that because then i kept writing and um thinking about well what if lucifer took todd to hell but it was a version of the venice boardwalk and i I am from venice particularly and like all the demons are hell's angels motorcycle riders because you know the hell's (laughs) angels and the name and the hell's angels from venice and you know the movie the wild angels with peter fonda and um and yeah, I just, I don't know. I kept thinking I, I have an overactive imagination and, um, I just, uh, kept thinking at that point in my, my life, what's a movie that I would want to see mm-hmm. and, um, yeah. And it just, it kept building and evolving and, and, um, and I ended up with, with what, uh, what we have. That's a very oh way of, of describing it, but that's what happened. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, but my, but, you know, when I first turned the movie on, it was, it, it was such a cool way. Like it was filmed in such a cool manner. I I don't think I've ever seen a movie quite like that before. Just the visual and the color. I, I can't tell you how much I loved it. Um, David Selby's performance was outstanding. Um, did he give you any of his thoughts on what it was like to portray such a unique character? Cause it was, he played a pretty cool character in Lucifer. He did a great job.
2: He did. He won actually best supporting actor at the Hollywood uh, real independent film festival here uh, where the film sort of debuted. Um, uh, his thoughts. No, he was, he was, David is such a nice guy and so down to earth <laughs> and, such a humanitarian, so he was very. F- uh, he was, I don't want to say frightened, but he was very nervous about the character and. Right. You know, can can we do? Is there is there something that's like some good in him, and is there something where he can you know help humanity? And I'm like, no, David. He's like, <laughs> he's he's not the devil, but like his name is an indication of he's not a good guy and. <laughs> but things are going to happen in the story that will bring about something good, but I need you to be seductively evil. And uh, he kind of... I was at lunch with him and his wife, Chip, who was also super nice and a very big supporter of me. And um, he, he... I mean, he, he didn't not want to do the film. He was just trying to wrap his mind around how to get into this guy's skin. And... I think you know it's a very dark role and um uh so so as an actor having to go down those those go into those places to to bring something like that to life and um he he was apprehensive but up for the challenge and then his wife chip said david this is you know one of the best roles you'll ever play this role comes out of the bible and you know, quit hemming and hawing. You're not going to play the father <laughs> character. Cause he was considering that. Yeah. Uh, you know, what if I play both? And I'm like, well, <laughs> that's not going to really work. And, but, uh, she goes, this, you know, just do it. You know how to play this character. And he goes, well, Oh, okay, well, okay. And then, um, two or three weeks later, he sent me a photo of him in the outfit. And, uh, was, I found him and I was like, well, I always knew that you would David. And so no, he had fun. Cause then he, 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 uh, he could kind of let loose and go like I told him you, I want you to chew the scenery. And then some, you have, you have free reign with this guy. Um, he kind of, the character demands it. Mm -hmm. And, um, so yeah, he had fun. He was, he was, he was, uh, yeah, David, Uh. David is always up to kind of have a challenge and, and, um, he always wants to do a good job. And uh, I think that was probably the biggest thing. He did not want to do a good job. He was afraid that, you know, <laughs> playing such a bad, a bad character that, uh, you know, it's, it's, you know, it's a task for any actor. And, uh, but no, he had, he had loads of fun. I mean.
1: Oh my gosh. Yeah. Ansel, well, I-, I think
0: that's, I think that's really interesting. Here's an accomplished actor. David Selby has been around since the 1960s. He's got a great reputation but he's not so overconfident. He's not so cocky. No actor that he thinks- is
2: confident. No actor okay. is confident no matter <laughs> how how long they've worked or whom they've worked with. Uh I mean my my the first actor I ever worked with and actually the the actor that I wrote Lucifer Grey for years and years and years ago, Lyndon Chiles, uh who was uh he worked with Alfred Hitchcock and Marnie. He was on the first episode of The Munsters. He was on The Twilight Zone. He was on Uh, I mean, every single show uh, in the golden age of television all the way, you know, up to Golden Girls uh, was on it. Uh, He worked with Roger Corman. He did everything. Um, Mm. Alain Delon kicked him in the face on uh, Texas Across the River with with Dean Martin. He he was in that. Uh, You know, he did did it. Uh, Universal was grooming him to be a major player in the 60s. He, too, was like... I need direction. I need to know, like, is this right? Am I doing this right? Is this? And and I was really a kid when I was directing him, and um, it it just comes down to actors need direction. It doesn't matter who they are, what they've done, or what they're working on. All actors need guidance because they don't know. They're 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 in their own little bubble of this is the role that I'm playing and the lines that I have to say. But I don't know what is, you know, I, I sort of have an understanding of what the story is and what, quote unquote, the world around me is going to look like. But mm-hmm. I don't know what the final result is going to be. And I'm doing, you know, little bits and, and moments that are going to be pieced together. And I don't know which moments those will be, you know, in the final edit. It's not stage where they get to go and they get to live the character and live the story from beginning to end in a continuous experience, it's snippets and it's, you know, here I am on a blue screen in 1850 and this, you know, it could be anything. So, uh, actors in film and on stage, but in film particularly, yeah, they always, they always, uh, want direction and, and guidance yeah.
1: Oh wow. Um, the lead character that played Todd Tarantula is played by an up-and-coming actor. His name is Ethan Walker. How did you come across to Ethan, and what were his thoughts on the story and the character? Was this his first role?
2: This was his first film. Um, he we had um, six hundred actors auditioned. Like, I mean, there was there was a, a larger number that submitted for the role. But mm-hmm. 600, red for the character, and then it boiled down to 5, and then it boiled down to 3, and then um, uh, he he got the part, and he got it because he didn't play it sort of like a grunt, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Uh, there was something smarmy and... Uh, forgive my language but there was there was an air of bullshit to him <laughs> and that would be right for the character because todd is he's like that um right. and um, yeah it was his first film and um yeah i'll kind of keep it at that
1: oh interesting he was a good choice he he played the part really well he played the part really really well
2: he so- he yeah he um he he uh, what should i say yes uh direction he needs to learn to take a little more direction but he did um he did fulfill what was needed of the character
1: <laughs> oh wow and you're you had an excellent supporting cast like you know all of all of the other actors that you had were they did an amazing job too just yeah. really really great And now you have another upcoming film that's coming that you're currently working on. It's called The Great Nick D. Did you want to? Are you able to talk to us a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, Um, it is not genre. It's a it's a comedy about a washed up porn star who's now a Venice Beach nobody, Nick D, and um, he goes on this odyssey to restart his mainstream acting career in order to win back uh the girl that he is his long lost girlfriend who's now sort of the equivalent of Meryl Streep and um it's a it's it's yeah it's not a horror film it's not genre uh, but mm-hmm. i don't always work in genre i've done you know a love story back in 2018 film i'm very proud of will and liz um right. i've done you know i work outside of of horror. But uh, this is a film that Nathan Wilson and I have been, you know, discussing for a decade and it was going to be a series at one point, And then we just, again, like with Tom Trans you, know, you just keep writing because you, you have all these ideas and how did this guy end up in the position that he's in? And, you know, what does he want out of life? And what's, what's, he's such a, a kooky oddball character. Well, what, what about the rest of the people that he knows? And, you know, what does he do? And, and so we just, you know, you keep writing and thinking up ideas and stuff. And uh, so, yeah, it's it's a, a bit of an epic. Um, and uh, we have a really great cast in that one. Uh, Nathan Wilson, my, my regular collaborator, he plays Nick D. Uh, mm-hmm. David Selby plays his father. Uh, Catherine Lee Scott is uh, she's kind of an antagonist in the film. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have Olan Jones, who's who's been in Tim Burton's work. Uh, she she has a very funny role. Um, uh, Lisa Richards is in it in in a in a com- comedic supporting role. Uh, d- director Sam Irvin, who who uh, directed um, Elvira's Haunted Hills, and he's recently has a book out about um, Frankenstein: The True Story. Um, oh wow! He's a he's a very good friend he has a role in the film it's his acting debut and and uh, we crack up about that <laughs> he's, he's a director he's a film director um but uh i i'm like i need you to i i called him up the fablemans had just come out and um david lynch is in the fablemans as john ford apparently i haven't seen the film but i know that david lynch appears so i called up sam I'm like sam i need you to be my david lynch in this movie <laughs> He <laughs> laughed about that and was only too happy. Uh, and uh, we have Laura Parker in her final uh, film role or acting role, really. Uh, she's in the film. And uh, uh, it's a very, it's a, it's a, it's, she's not obviously Angelique, uh, but um, I, I kind of don't want to spoil anything. And yeah, yeah. Um, who else is in it? Uh, Douglas Eames, who was the, the, uh, the mysterious father in Todd Tarantula. He has a, the total opposite kind of a role in Nick D as Aldo, the, um, the, the silent Harpo Marx-esque uh, sidekick to Nick D who only communicates by, well, he, he never says a word, but he eats corn nuts. And so he, the way that he crunches his corn nuts is how he communicates to Nick. And, um, there's like 40 actors it's a very big film uh, oh my we shot we were uh, luckily under the independent um, contracts so during the strikes we were able to we were uh, able to continue we did nice. not have to shut down which was which was very nice and yeah. uh, we shot from April till September and uh, oh, the beginning wow. of April before before even the strikes began we were we were shooting And, um, yeah, uh, I, it's, it's, uh, it's fun. You'll be seeing the Dark Shadows cast dancing and (laughs) we have a musical (laughs) number in there. And, um, it's a, it's a very different film for all of them. Uh, it's a nice little refresher for me. And I mean, yeah, I, you, I could talk for hours, so throw questions at me and I'll be happy to answer whatever you would like to know about the movie.
1: Oh my gosh. So you just finished filming that basically not too long ago. What what stage are you at now in kind of like putting everything together for release?
2: Yeah, we um, we finally locked the edit, so we're not going to mess with the movie anymore.
0: Um, Right.
2: It was a very long film. It was almost three hours long. And um, so, it you know, you have to go down through the difficult process of what stays and what goes and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, the various cuts of the film and, you know, uh, yeah, getting it into shape. And, uh, but now it's, it's there, it's locked. And so now we're, we're working on color and, uh, sounds, you know, cleaning up the sound, the audio mix Mm -hmm. and getting in the music to, um, you know, finish the film. But, uh, it's uh yeah it's it's a it's a big movie so we're gonna we're gonna hopefully start screening at festivals don't know which ones yet or when mm-hmm. they will be but um, you know in the coming year in 2024 and then um, it would be publicly available we're aiming I mean it'll be a year away we're aiming for November right. of uh, 2024 for a, a, a general release because um, oh we want to you know get through the year with festival screenings so we'll see we'll see how that pans out
1: oh wow that's that sounds really exciting so where where's the best place for our listeners and myself to kind of keep an eye open for any festival events that you might be taking your film to or any appearances like is is your website the best place to to look for yeah. stuff like
0: that
2: Yeah, so my website uh, is my production company, Hollinsworth Productions. There's uh, no G, it's H-O-L-L-I-N-S-W-O-R-T-H Productions, hollinsworthproductions.com. I also have uh, a Facebook, Hollinsworth Productions, um, and I usually would would post updates there. Um, But uh, yeah, that's uh, the best place to, to look. To, to find all of my work and, and what's coming up. Uh, oh, nice.
1: But, yeah. I I did, I actually, I took a peek at your website a little bit earlier this week. And I also, I noticed all the different cool clips that you have on there. And there was, I think it was, I want to say it's a 19 minute video of um, a haunted building that is there in, I think it's in Venice. That, that was a good little video. Do you typically make things like that for people to watch Uh,
2: the most haunted house at Venice beach is what you're talking about. Yeah, no, that was, um, I mean, it was, it was the middle of the pandemic and, uh, I was just getting stir crazy (laughs) and I, I, there's this house in Venice that I, I sort of passed by and, um, it's a fascinating looking building and and it, it is empty. And I just kept again, like thinking, and I, as I already mentioned, I do have a fascination with, with Los Angeles history and geography mm-hmm. and, and all that. So it, it became a little sort of a love letter to uh, Venice Beach history and um, archival photography of Venice of back in its, its glory days when Abbott Kinney founded it in 1905. Um, and uh, yeah, just so no, that was I, I don't normally do shorts. Um, features is is what I work in, but it was the pandemic, right. and I was just like, let's, we, I I can't just sit here for another six months. <laughs> so yeah. we did it, and it won the Rondo Award for best short film the following year uh, when it did come oh, out. Wow. And, um, so that was very nice, and it's actually that's that I might say that's my, maybe my favorite thing that I've done. Um, uh huh. Just because it's, uh, yeah, it's something, I don't know, it's personal to me.
1: Yeah, It was beautiful. It was really beautifully done. The imagery and just the story to go with it. It was, I really enjoyed that myself.
2: Thank you. Yeah, and that's all actual history of Venice. It really did look like that at once upon a time. And it really did, a lot of it did burn down or was destroyed over time. And so we still have little Corners and nooks and crannies left in Venice Beach today that are of the original era, but um, the, the the way that it looked back then, with all of the, the larger canals and 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 the the beautiful architecture and stuff, is um, it's no longer there, and I think it's a it's a great shame, and and that's something that I wanted to get into with Todd Tarantula of the city constantly changes the city. We have no respect for our history in LA as fast as you can build a building. They'll knock it down to build a ugly mixed use condo building. That's just a box. And there's no, um, the beauty of old LA is, is not quite preserved. There's, there's a couple buildings here and there, but um, right. nobody cares, you know? Oh, no, it,
1: it was definitely lovely. And I, I enjoyed watching it. Um, So as, as a filmmaker, is there a project that you would love to do in the future that has been on your mind that you, you definitely want to do? If Uh, you know what I mean? Of course. (laughs) I know there's probably tons. There's several (laughs) scripts
0: that are
2: sitting there. Um, One of them, uh, there's three that, that immediately spring. Well, no, I mean, I've already thought of, like, five more. Um, the, <laughs> there's three that I'll kind of... Well, one of them might actually be happening sooner than oh, wow. later. So I, I will refrain from discussing that. But um, okay. it, it, it would be something that I wanted to make since I was a kid. So that could be amazing. But um, there's a script, uh, Madame Le Sir, that I wrote, uh, which is... Uh, it's like a, a huge big tribute to AIP American International Pictures uh drive in films, uh like Count Yorga Vampire and The Crimson Cult and um you know, the Vincent Price at Ground Poe horror movies. Uh as Madame Cerche, she's this psychic uh with a uh, spectral boyfriend, Johnny Stoker, and they're on a road trip from uh a carnival where she tells fortunes and stuff back East to here to Venice because she it's in 1971 when the story takes place. So it's a period mm-hmm. piece. So already that's a, a lot of money right there. Um, <laughs> and uh, she wants to have her own beach blanket bingo here on the beach because she's never really seen the beach and um, it's there. It's a love story, really. It's a love story between this ghost and a a psychic. And um, they're driving out here, and she has all these sort of supernatural acquaintances. And um, there's a killer on the road that they cross paths with. And it's something that can be so cool and so psychedelic. And uh, I love that script. And... uh, but, but I mean, it's major money, major money. Uh, but we'll figure that out eventually, and um, then another my my end game, <laughs> if you want to use that <laughs> word, is Phantom of the Opera. And oh do it, wow! Like the novel, and shoot it on location with IMAX cameras in seventy millimeter, and um, uh, yeah, that's the that's the goal. That's why I got into the whole. This whole unforgiving, brutal business. When I was younger and ignorant, and um, but that would be <laughs> that would be great. So we'll see. I mean, you know, that'll be more than a few years from now, hopefully. But
1: yeah, oh, absolutely. Do you do um, to help with this? Like, do you do anything like the kickstarters or anything that I've seen some other film independent filmmakers do? Like, do you uh, do you have something like that?
2: i i don't like those i mean i did it once with todd Mm -hmm. tarantula uh, 10 years ago and it didn't work um because todd tarantula if you've seen the film you can tell it's not your normal you can't put that in a in a in a box and you can't just sum it or sum it all up in a sentence Uh, it's a very you know crazy film and um Kickstarters and things like that I've noticed those really work for niche projects documentaries you know oh, okay. where you already have a built-in audience that wants to see the history of of hammer horror if that well I guess no there was one for, for hammer horror films that did succeed, actually because <laughs> I did contribute to it um, but like you know something that's like very specific and you really have to run a, a good campaign
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, on top of the film and making a film is already there's so much work and stress and moving pieces around it then having to manage a campaign and perks and things and and then you're giving out uh, you're giving out things about the film information about the film before it's time for people to to know I, I subscribe to the Christopher Nolan method of like You'll find out when the movie comes out and until then yes. you have to wait kind of thing. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and uh there's it's you know our our team, it's myself, Nathan Wilson and Kelly Kitko It's it's three people and we also have, you know, a life <laughs> on top of like trying to make movies. So trying to manage all that stuff is is difficult. And um yeah, I mean it's it, it works for some people, but it doesn't work for a narrative feature film you know say hey we've got this movie that takes place in 1970 and you know all this stuff you know contribute you know $20 $50 $100 $150 $2,000 or such and such and then you know not making your goal and you've already given out so much production information I don't like that so that's a long answer to a question
1: yeah no i can definitely appreciate that because i mean there's a lot of information that you don't want to give out you know before the film comes out because that's that's part of sitting in the theater and and watching it right is the element of surprise right so there's another project that you, you've been doing. So you've been doing some writing. You've been writing essays like for a column. It's called Ansel's Asylum for the Psychotronic. Can you tell <laughs> yeah. us a little bit about that? That looks so cool. And where can we find these writings?
2: Yeah, it's um I'm published in We Belong Dead, which is a, a magazine out of the UK.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And that came about I I um wrote an essay a friend he I don't think they actually even maintain the site anymore I'm not sure but uh, it was Universal Monster Universe and he asked me to write an essay a guest essay mm-hmm. about uh, Claude Rains, Phantom of the Opera and how that you know kick-started my my love of Universal Monsters and um, filmmaking and, and all of that uh, so that was a couple years ago and so they they ran it on the site and then Eric McNaughton who who started the magazine and is the publisher read it and said you know I would would you mind would you mind if I published this in an upcoming issue of the magazine and I was like oh wow that's cool yeah hell yeah <laughs> and uh, so they did uh, when was that that was i feel like it was still I don't know if the pandemic had begun or if it if it was just before, but mm-hmm. it was a while ago. Uh, and then I they I, I they asked if I, you know, wanted to write another essay, so I wrote a thing about um why I consider Bela Lugosi's character of Igor from son of Frankenstein and the ghost of Frankenstein to be a Dyed in the Wool Universal Monster and not a sidekick because these are the things that I ponder in life. And <laughs> um, they published that. And then uh, Sam Irvin, who's in The Great Nick and he's a good friend, mm-hmm. he, he said, because uh, I I also, I, I'll i post about movies on occasion and I have a, a very, I have an Instagram, but it's not about like life or my filmmaking or anything. It It's, mm. it's kind of, it began as me, showing off my my movie collection (laughs) and then it it sort of evolved into me writing about film history and you know film analysis and uh he's like you know you really so i did this this history of of horror from 1931 to 1983 and you know talks about the different movies that came out and you know the shifting of the landscape of of the horror film in those years and he's like you you should really have this published you should do something with this and why don't you talk to Eric about, you know, doing a, a, a regular thing. And in, in the, the, in the webs in, in the magazine. And, and I know Jeff Thompson, who was a, a guest on your show also mm. said the same thing to me. So then I hit Eric up and I said, so what would you consider? would you, Is this something that you guys would be interested in? Everybody's telling me that I should do this. And, uh, you know, he said, oh, yeah, you know, by all means, you know, we you know, think of a, a column title and and our next issue, the deadline is this date. And if you can get something in by then. Yeah, let's let's begin. So, yeah, it took me like a, a week or so to come up with Ansel's Asylum for the Psychotronic. But I think it it's catchy and um, it is. it's been running <laughs> since uh, the beginning of twenty twenty one think was when it so now it's like on its 12th installment I believe
1: oh wow okay so yeah
2: I do that and um it's uh it's cool you know it's like uh I don't know somebody called me a film historian the other day and I was like oh okay that sounds nice <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> so where can we find these like uh, like do uh, we they, find them yeah, on- they-
2: they they distribute them. Um, I believe they're in. I might be wrong. I believe they do carry them in stores in the UK because it is a UK-based magazine. But well, they have a deal now where um, uh, it's it's uh they, there's the website uh, webelongdead.co.uk, I think. Okay. We belong dead magazine definitely just Google that and the thing will mm-hmm. come up. But Amazon also distributes them. Uh, globally. So you can, you know, you type up on Amazon, you know, We Belong Dead issue 36, issue 37, issue 30, and it should come up. And uh, uh, yeah, it, it, it's, it's there. Um, the latest issue uh, just came out as for Halloween. It was a black exploitation issue. And I wrote about uh, the film Eve's body from the nineties. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah.
1: Oh, that's so cool. That's very cool. Well, I'll definitely have to look for those. Um, so you being a movie buff, what do you like to pop onto your TV and, and just binge watch when you have a little bit of downtime to relax? Do you binge watch any kind of particular movies or do you have like a go-to TV show that you really enjoy?
2: Yeah, I do. Um my, I mean, my, yeah, my go-to television show uh, is, I mean, it's something that nobody would ever think, Bob's Burgers. I love that show. It's a, it's a cartoon. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's, I don't want to call it, it's an adult cartoon, but it, it is, it was, you know, it's not like the Simpsons, but because they're nicer and they're more of a family and, right. uh, and they I, I mean, it's like I'm not an actor, but it's a bucket list item to, to voice a character on Bob's Burgers. I love that show. It's so funny. Um, that's what, Especially when I'm really depressed and frustrated and wondering what the hell am I doing with this ridiculous business. I'll watch that, and I'll feel better. Um, what I've been watching, I, I, I mean, I'll watch kind of anything that jumps around. Um, but uh, this past year, especially because of great Nick D., Mm-hmm. I, I decided I had been a minute since I'd, I, I have a very extensive DVD and Blu-ray collection. Right. Um, and it'd been a minute since I watched all like the, the classic musicals and comedies from MGM and RKO and, and Warners of, of the thirties and forties and fifties really. Uh, so really like I, I, I a deep dive into like Turner Classic Movies, what they would normally show on, on TCM, right? Um, but on my DVD collection, and um, so I was I was trying to stick to comedies and musicals and romances to bring that similar feel good entertainment spirit to the Great Nick D, um, and yeah, just so I was just watching all those and um and stayed away from the horror and stayed away from the noir uh because it was i'm, I'm making a feel-good movie so i did that this summer and now because it's november i i mean, god i'm now i'm just embarrassing myself but i had to observe <laughs> noir November because it's you know film noir on november and i'm watching a bunch of great noirs that i mean i've seen them all but like, it's the perfect opportunity to, to do it. It's the, hol- <laughs> it's the holiday season of noir. And um, so, yeah, stuff like Kiss Me Deadly and Act of Violence. Uh, uh, what's what's what, Criss Cross, which I love. That's a great Los Angeles Bunker Hill noir. Oh, wow. Um, so, yeah. So I, I do that. And then. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's spur of the. I mean, it really depends. Like, I don't have a game plan much as I like to think I do. <laughs> and, um, but then also a lot of the time is eaten up with dealing with the movie. So, you know, trying yeah. to finish editing or, or dealing with post production that we're dealing with. So,
1: yeah oh nice no i i completely get it too especially when things get really busy it's always important to you know take that time for yourself and you know if you have something favorite that you enjoy to to just kick back and binge watch i think that's that's super it's it's something you have to do for yourself for sure
2: yeah no yeah i i totally agree and i don't really watch much tv Mm -hmm. you know so yeah movies are you know Movies. I mean, I was always like, as a kid, I was sitting in front of Turner Classic Movies when it when they first launched the channel back in the '90s. So these are, you know, it's movies that that uh, I've always enjoyed, and yeah, it's 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 fun. It's nostalgic, and and they don't make great movies like they used to, and that's that's the big thing. So
1: no, exactly. Oh no, exactly. So let's kind of turn our focus back just a little bit to something that you appreciated a lot back in your childhood as well as even today it's your love for the dark shadows and the great connection that you had with cast members so bruce did you want to kick things off here
0: yeah you know it's It really hit me hard uh, when I heard about the passing of Lara Parker. And you mentioned her a few minutes back, Ansel. Uh, She, of course, worked on two of your Dr. Mabusa films. She's also in the great Nick D. She passed away October 12th from cancer. She was 84. I I really had no idea that she was even ill. First off, did you know uh, how sick she was and, and that the situation was as serious as it was?
2: Yeah. I mean, it was, it was, uh, yeah, within the inner, the inner circle. Yeah, we knew, I mean, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was what it was. And we, I mean, we'd known for a while and, um, but you know, it was nobody's business. So obviously no, nobody said anything. Um, yeah. and, uh, but she didn't like, how do I phrase it? Uh, She wasn't, um, restricted by her illness. You know, it was just like, well, this is, this is a matter of fact, but I've got all these other things I'm going to deal with and have fun with. And, um, so like, you know, when we, when we came to do the, 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 her, her, when we came to film, you know, she was, she was having fun. She really loved what had been written for her. And, um. Was you know on point doing her job, you know wanting to are are you sure that you're happy with the scene? Should we do it again? Should I do you know Mm. the same questions that David Selby will ask, you know because they're actors, um. So nothing you know there was no, um. uh, You know where some people might, uh, how I mean how do I say this tactfully? Where some people might start you know planning for the end or. Mm -hmm. Or um, again I want to say this making everybody else miserable like Laura was like still wickedly funny and Mm -hmm. um, you know very sharp you know they just went to her her and her husband Jim went to Paris and they were you know doing things and she was working on her audio book of uh, I believe it's The Heiress of Collinwood and um, yeah I mean you you know having fun with her grandson there was no sense of morbidity or, you know, the final curtain or however you want to put it. Um, Yeah. She was, she was still, she was still Laura. And, um, you know, she was, she was, I mean, Laura also, we did, uh, she was in the short film of Madame Lister, which is the thing that I'd love to do as a a full movie. And then Mm -hmm. we did, uh, the job interview with John Carlin, which was John Carlin's final thing several years Mm -hmm. back. Um, and, uh, she was with the great Nick D. She's like, Oh, I'm so happy that you're not having me spout gobbledygook. I can be a, you know, a human. And, and, and so, you know, just like all of her, you know, her, her Laura isms. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Still so damn funny and saying things I can't quite repeat, (laughs) but like, you know, she was, she was, uh, very down to earth, very, um. Uh, in the same way that like David Sylvie is 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 like a humanitarian, Laura was like an eternal student, and was always fascinated by by people and their lives and their livelihood and why they are the way they are. Um, and that probably comes from you know being an actress and you know studying people and you know observing things and then, you know yeah. funneling that into the craft. But she was always just like you know, curious about everything. And, um, and, you know, she was impressive. Like, Oh, wow. I remember when we were in your garage and you didn't even have a microphone and now look at all these people are working (laughs) for you. And, you know, she was proud of that. And, um, yeah, she was, she was, um, she was funny. She was very funny. And nobody realizes how funny she could be. Um, and just like, (laughs) insult Mm insult people with like a a word or even we were my god we were at we were at an event and actually i shouldn't repeat this one but like she somebody said something uh another a mutual friend that we all know uh and she just looked at me and didn't do anything she just gave me this look and i was on the floor laughing hysterically and then she's like cracking up because just like the the she was just funny um yeah yeah
0: sounds like she was very determined it's a reminiscent of carolyn jones who did such a great job as morticia adams on the adams family and then carolyn jones came down i believe it was with cancer in the early 1980s she was working on a soap opera And she was quite ill, and I don't think she completely let on just how sick she was, but she was determined to finish all the episodes that she was scheduled to work in. And it was the kind of determination uh, that you really admire. With Lara, another aspect of her career that maybe we don't talk enough about was another horror film that she did in the early 70s. Of course, she was great as Angelique in the Dark Shadows TV show, Uh, She also played Angelique Collins in Night of Dark Shadows. She was great there. But then later in the 1970s, she was in Race with the Devil, a film about satanic worship. Uh, She was one of four key characters that were kind of evading the satanic worshipers. I thought she was very good in that, too.
2: She had a lot of stories about that one. Uh... Really? uh i'm trying to think again like which ones i can repeat that's <laughs> <laughs> they were <laughs> um uh, uh, well okay again tactfully a co-star in the film would refuse to do things and laura would be like well i'll do it and she you know she got herself more screen time and she had you know a few colorful things to say about the <laughs> the actor um, and you know also she was Jane Fonda's roommate in college so then you know Peter Fonda's in the movie and producing oh my goodness. Uh but she said that um, and she'd met Peter Fonda well she'd met Peter before he was Peter Fonda and because Jane invited her back home for I, I want to say something like a holiday weekend or something I don't re- remember the, exactly the s- circumstances but Henry Fonda was there and uh, she said, you know, Henry Fonda at one point asked her opinion on, on, um, oh my God, was it like a, a character that he was going to do or something? And and she, and she, you know, she, she was, she was a student in college. She wasn't, you know, anybody at that point. And she was amazed that, you know, Henry Fonda is asking her thoughts on, on this. And so, but she said that, uh, when they did the movie, you know, Peter didn't have any recollection or if he did, he would not bring it up. It wasn't why she got cast in the film. Uh, but, um, she had a lot of, a lot of, um, funny stories about a couple actors in that, in that movie. And, um, uh, yeah, I can
0: imagine who they were. Cause I know Warren oh, yeah. Oates was a I wild think, man. Yeah. He was on that film And I've read also that there was some tension between her and Loretta Swit, the famous actress from M.A.S.H. So that was that added to kind of uh, some difficult uh, times, but they ended up making a great movie nonetheless.
2: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And she yeah, she she was proud of it. I remember, yeah, she when when we went to Comic-Con together, we drove down. Um, and she's like, you've seen race to the devil. And we talked about that for a little bit. And she, that's when she was telling me some stories about a particular cast member. Um, and, uh, uh, I the one, the, the one that really stands out the most in my mind is the, the scene with the snake where there's the snake in the RV mm. and, um, she goes, well, I'll do that scene if they don't want to do it, you know, and I'll, you know, I can do that. And so she became the victim of the scene versus the other player that was supposed to do it because the other player just was being a diva. And, um, and, uh, yeah, no, it was, it, you know, it's a good movie. I, I, it's been a, a little bit of time since I have seen it. I have the Blu ray and I was gonna rewatch it and then I, I don't know, I, I'll, I will at some point, but, um, Yeah, it's a it's a good downbeat 70s thriller.
0: Yeah, it's a great film. There's a lot of action, a great chase scene and one of the most chilling conclusions uh, in horror history. Uh, Great work by Lara Parker, the late Lara Parker in Race with the Devil. Tracy, I believe you had one more question for Ansel before we let him go. I
1: do. Um, So I wanted to touch base with you about a production that you did. It was the Dark Shadows Christmas Carol from 2021. That production actually won a 2021 Rondo award for best event. Can you tell us about that, what it was like making it and what, (laughs) how you felt about bringing the Dark Shadows cast back together again as kind of like a love letter to Dark Shadow fans?
2: Yeah, it was, I mean, it was something that, I mean, Dan Curtis had said back in 2000 uh, when they had the the reunion at the Directors Guild. You know, he always wanted to do uh, a Christmas Carol on the show and like just like suspend the storyline of the the main series for Mm -hmm. that moment and just do a Christmas Carol um, and just have the cast, you know. The, the parts and they never did and he goes that's my biggest you know i wish that we'd done that and uh around the time of the, the first or second dr mabuza i can't remember which um because they were like back to back uh you know we were talking oh what if we did what if we finally did a christmas carol and you know did it as a as a film <laughs> and it very you know it's like okay well there's so many already and you know we didn't do it you know carried on did other things and then um during so yeah 2021 so the pandemic was over over we had done the previous halloween during the pandemic we'd done like a halloween reunion on zoom and that was chaos but it went over well uh so It it, then immediately the idea was, oh, what if we finally do Christmas Carol and we'll do it on Zoom? Hmm. But it took till the following year because we just it was October and you know December is right around the corner and it was you know okay, if we do it, it, we'll do it for next year. And then um, so the following year, we we uh, Richard Halpern and myself set about you know getting it together and. Uh, wrangling everybody to, to uh, the start line of, okay, so this is what you're going to do and this is how we're going to do it and who you're going to play. And Mitch Ryan was very particular of like, I want what I have to say to be authentic Dickens. <laughs> and so like, you know, make sure that it was authentic Dickens because what it was taken from was Orson Welles' production that they mm. did in the Mercury Theater on radio. Oh, nice. Christmas Carol, so it was a version of that, but um, a little boiled down and a little more um, um, streamlined. So, Mitch Ryan needed to make sure that it was <laughs> that it was Dickens and not Wells that we mm. were, you know, that he would be speaking and. Um, and everybody, you know, everybody is scattered everywhere. So, you know, we had half the cast is on the east coast, half the cast is on the west coast. David Hennessy is down in South America. Um, you know, Alexander Multi had been involved since basically leaving the show. So, you know, how is everybody going to fit to get, you know, who's how who is everybody going to play and how are they going to do this and we're doing this on Zoom, and um, Zoom. Uh, you know the timing of every. It really, is that it was the 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 juggled times, and we all had to be on it, and uh, we 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 well, we recorded it that first Saturday, and mm-hmm. it took hours, and just dark shadows does not exist without chaos <laughs> I think it's just like the cosmic rule of ever since that show began no matter what is going on no matter what iteration of the show or the movie or the reboot or the you know i'm gonna talk about the 90s version or like what have you dark shadows does not thrive nor exist without chaos and we had all that like same it was like 1968 but virtually, uh-huh. <laughs> um, everybody is like just panic stricken. What are we gonna? Yes, and we have softened all the all these you know things going on, and um. But we got through it, and then I had three days to edit it together, and put all the the vintage illustrations and cutaways, and put all the music and all the effects work and things that were gonna happen uh and um and then it broadcast that that saturday and um and we all had to be on it because we, we would do the live q a afterward uh and it was it was interesting also um because when we did it you know we, we didn't have a ghost of christmas future so it was just david selby as scrooge you know performing but there was, you know, there's nothing for him to, everybody's just sitting there, you know. And mm. um, I had done, you know, I'd done my my anthology series, Theatre Fantastique, that Chris Pennick was sort of the, the lead player on. And there was footage, we did a Christmas episode, The Family Wolf Christmas. And um, so there's Christmas, there's footage of Chris that's, Holiday themed, and he's you know wishing everyone Merry Christmas in the characters in the in the episode, and we also did um, a poem of Poe, which was this very cool um, amalgamation of various Poe stories and poems, as if Poe himself was experiencing them. And Chris played Death in that. Um, uh, he, he said, "I because I, he goes, how am I going to play Death?" And I'm like, "I want you to do it like a." A sad Fellini clown and, all right I will bring all of it <laughs> so there's this footage of Chris in a death shroud and he's doing things and stuff so as I was cutting it I'm like we need to see the ghosts of Christmas future and how are we gonna and then I'm like oh I have this footage of Chris and it's Chris and he's you know he belongs he deserves to be part of the show because Chris had sadly passed, you know, in February of 2021. And this is already December of 2021. Mm. So, you know, had, had he still been there, he, you damn well bet he'd have been part of it and screaming and panicking, you know, what am I going to play? And you know, all, all of the Chris Pinnick, <laughs> all of the energy and ferocity that was Chris Pinnock. And so I was like, this is perfect. Like he's there. He's already like, so I took that footage of him from poem of Poe where he played death and masked out his face. So we don't see who is the ghost of Christmas future until it's time to reveal that it is Chris Pennock And, uh, and it worked. It was like, Oh, that's, I mean, it was, it was everybody's like, Oh, they must've shot Chris Pennock, you know, before he died. Well, no, we didn't have this plan. Like this was just like, <laughs> this was just, you know, happy accident miracle footage. Um, yeah. And, uh, So, yeah, so we put that all together and then had Christian wishing everyone Merry Christmas and uh, broadcasted it. And it's something I'm incredibly proud of Um, to have have been part of it, to have witnessed it, all the the chaos that went on (laughs) behind the scenes of doing it. And, um, you know, as time goes on and, uh, you know, no one is getting any younger, it's it's. I'm very proud that we have, you know, Mitch Ryan and Laura and, um, and Chris vicariously, uh, uh, in this thing. And it's, it, we got to fulfill that little gaping hole in dark shadows mythology of, well, what would a dark shadows Christmas carol be like? Well, you know, we did it and I'm very proud of it. And I'm very happy that we won the Rondo and, um, you know, as as my nephew gets a little older and can understand, you know, what, what Christmas Carol is and who are all these crazy people that his father and his uncle work with, uh, look, I can show him <laughs> this thing and be like, "This is, you know, this is a Christmas Carol," and you know, it's there now for for all time, and it's 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 hosted on my YouTube channel, Hollandsworth Productions. It's all there. It's on there, you know, all year round, so you can watch it no matter when, uh, if it's the 4th of July or if it is Christmas and, um, uh, it's, yeah, it's something that I'm, I'm very, very proud to have been part of. And I, I'm biased, but I do think it is, it might be the best Christmas Carol. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and, um, and it's faithful. It is very faithful to Dickens because Mitch Ryan made sure that it was so, hmm. you know,
0: Oh, that's amazing. very well done, I, Ansel. Yeah,
1: yeah. No, I did. I did check some of it out a little bit earlier this week, but I think next weekend I'm going to take the time and, and sit down and take a really good listen to it because, you know, I've I've heard a couple people talking about it and they really enjoyed it. So, congratulations! That is a definite job well done.
2: Thank you. Yeah, I mean, Richard Halpern deserves equal, you know, credit to with along you know me and him we tag teamed on the whole thing and and um it was uh it was a a, it was a labor of love for everybody i mean even the cast themselves they understood the importance of this and everybody wanted to do their best and that's why there was chaos behind the scenes but again it's also dark shadows so you know yeah it adds to the energy
0: our guest has been Ansel Farage. He is an award-winning film director, screenwriter, and producer, and also writes the, uh, the regular feature, Ansel's Asylum for the Psychotronic, and that can be found at the UK, UK publication called We Belong Dead. Ansel, thank you very much for your uh, thoughts. Uh, this was, of course, our second interview with you. You were just as great here as, as with the first time. And we hope to have you on as we move closer to the great Nick D and its debut. Thank you. Thank you, Ansel.
2: Thanks so much for having me. Thank you, guys.
0: We're going to take a short break. And in just a moment, Tracy and I will be back to give us uh, thoughts on the new Netflix series produced by Mike Flanagan, The Fall of the House of Usher. The Ghostly Gallery podcast continues momentarily. We are back on the Ghostly Gallery podcast. Again, our thanks to director Ansel Farage, uh, such a thoughtful guy, telling us about the process of making his films. Uh, Always wonderful to hear from Ansel. We did want to talk, Tracy and I, about the Netflix series, the latest from Mike Flanagan, The Fall of the House of Usher. It debuted earlier in the fall, featuring eight episodes. It's based primarily on The House of Usher, but also a number of other works of Edgar Allan Poe. Many of the characters carry the names of Poe characters. And as I think I'd mentioned a few weeks ago, Tracy, I was, I was really kind of turned off by the first episode. The language was so coarse, so full of tough words, and the characters almost across the board were very, very unlikable. I didn't give up on the series, though. I wanted to watch it through to the end. And in fairness, I thought it did get significantly better as the series progressed. And I thought one of the real high points was the ending of the second episode called Mask of the Red Death. Remarkable conclusion to that episode. It's the masquerade party, which is put on by one of the Usher sons, Perry. I don't want to give away what happens for those who haven't seen it but I was absolutely shocked. It was one of the more amazing finishes to a horror TV episode that I've ever seen. So I thought that was a real high point. Let me get some of your thoughts, Tracy, on the series. What'd you think?
1: I really enjoyed it. I really, really enjoyed it. I honestly didn't know what to expect, but I'm a huge fan of Mike Flanagan's work. Um, This one was a little bit different but I do agree. Like you have to give it a little bit of time, but I'm one of those types of viewers that, especially with Mike Flanagan's work that I will, I will watch the eight to 10 episodes and then I will go back again and watch them over again to pick up everything. I missed the first go around
0: Mm. and
1: each time that I, I watch it, it, it just gets better and better. But I, his cast was wonderful. Like, the reoccurring cast that he uses over and over again with his projects, they're so great. Like, Carla, mm. and I don't want to, her last name, is it Gugino? I'm just not quite sure how to pronounce it, but then you have his Gugino. wife. Gugino. I believe Gugino. it's a hard G. Yeah, oh, perfect. Yeah, and, and his wife, Kate, Kate Segal, playing Camille, yeah. just such beautiful characters like I just love them all so much and you know they might not have been the most likable characters in this particular series but I think they did an excellent job both the young versions and the old versions of the characters
0: yeah I agree there were some great performances in the series Uh, Bruce Greenwood played the central character of Roderick Usher, I think he's a highly underrated actor. I remember first seeing him on St. Elsewhere back in the mid 1980s. And obviously that's a long time ago, but he's (laughs) he's grown as an actor. I think he's excellent. He's been in many Flanagan productions.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Uh, Samantha Sloyan, who was so good as Bev, the detestable Bev in Midnight Mass. uh, She was great in, in this series also. Uh, You mentioned Kate Siegel, who's always outstanding. The only thing I didn't like was that Siegel's character was, uh, well, killed off relatively early.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Then there was Mark Hamill. And, you know, Mark Hamill is obviously iconic because of what he did in Star Wars. Mm -hmm. But I think he's really grown as an actor. He was really good as the family lawyer, the ruthless Arthur Gordon Pym. And I almost didn't recognize him in terms of the way he looked, the way he spoke, Uh, But I thought he nailed the role. Um, And then as far as Carla Gugino, I thought she was the best. Uh, She was great as this mysterious Verna who starts out as a bartender and then turns out to be somewhat of a supernatural character. And and she's different in each episode, but also at the same time, um, you know that when she's about to appear, when she appears... Uh, something bad is going to happen to one of the Usher family members. And I thought she played uh, the role to the hilt. Maybe the only likable character was uh, C. August Dupin, who was a character featured in many of the Edgar Allan Poe books. And in this particular series, he's an attorney general played by Carl Lumley. Um, He was probably the only guy that, that had any sense of morality at all. Uh, So I guess that did balance off some of the other sinister people. All in all, I thought the series was okay. Uh, It's not up to the standard of Midnight Mass or The Haunting of Mm -hmm. Hill House. I think I would put it on a par with The Haunting of Bly Manor. So maybe that second tier of Mike Flanagan productions. uh, Decent, uh, above average, certainly worth seeing, just not at the peak of what I expected from Mike Flanagan would you rate it a little bit higher than that um
1: no I think I would probably rate it this in the same manner absolutely and like I I totally agree with you about Mark Hamill's role I honestly did not recognize Mark at the very beginning it took me a little bit of time to place him but um I I want to give a little shout out to Mike Flanagan's use of some younger cast members like Ruth Codd and Kylie Curran and Igme Rigney, like some of those cast members that he had also used in, um, Midnight Mass mm. as well as Kylie Curran who played Lenore. She was also the little girl that played in Dr. Sleep, which I didn't realize until I did a little bit of research, but, oh, um, his his use of the younger actors to give them a chance and take part in his visions i just think is amazing i i give high praise to mike flanagan and you know this this series was pretty good and i'm surprised it was only eight episodes though usually they run about ten so yeah that that was a little bit different
0: I did love all the references to Edgar Allan Poe. Of course, we talked to uh, the great author Mark DeWidziak, who has the Poe biography that -hmm. just came out this year, and it's doing really well. I think he's on to the third printing with that. Um, I like the fact that Flanagan was able to incorporate Poe references and parts of different Poe stories uh, into uh, this production. Also, another good ending was the ending to episode number five, The Telltale Heart. Uh, That involved the gifted but troubled surgeon Victorine. I did not see the ending to that coming. So that in episode number two had some really Mm -hmm. scintillating conclusions. Very, very surprising. Certainly worth looking at. uh, Not at the top of Mike Flanagan's library, but uh, maybe third or fourth. And um, there is some good stuff definitely to pick out. And that's an interesting point you make about going back and looking back at some of the episodes Uh, seeing some of the references that maybe you didn't see the first time around that's always that's always the sign of a good filmmaker or a television director as well exactly exactly well tracy thank you very much great job interviewing ansel farage we thank you for your contributions as always as our co-host and producer We thank everybody for joining in, listening to this program, taking part in this macabre museum, this museum of the macabre. We hope we'll see you again next time right here in the ghostly gallery.